0: Uh, let me let me do this before we jump into the topic this morning. Um, a couple of thank yous for this setting that i always get a chance to connect with you guys who are gathered in the seniors ministry. Uh, but but two thank yous I want to make sure and let stick out. Uh, one is a thank you to Farrell in particular, to Belinda as well. And I know they're not the only ones who are Putting these things together, but I'm I'm so grateful. A number of years ago, as in everything that we're doing, there's areas in the life of the church that that had weaknesses in them, and we knew that there was there's opportunities to care and connect with people. And so, a number of years ago, we wanted to do something for our seniors, just at a greater level, greater intentionality, more care, and and Farrell stepped forward in that way. And as you guys have already experienced over these last couple of years or so, he does an outstanding job of leading and caring for you guys. So thank you. Um, Thanks for identifying places like this in life. The reason why we do a seniors ministry is the same reason why we do a youth ministry, because life is not the same for you as it is for everybody else in a lot of categories. And so what we're talking about today, uh, a 30, 40 year old doesn't get at all uh, but you get it, and, and, and uniquely it needs to be addressed. The other thing I want to say thank you to is is just so many of you who are in the room here today that the history of Lakeview Christian Center is, is really because of your lives and the lives that you've lived, the values that you hold, the convictions that you have, the way you have sown yourselves and invested yourselves in the kingdom of God here. There's a lot of people in, in this church, and we've added a lot of folks over the years, Uh, that weren't a part of the story here when things were very different and traction was trying to be found and growth was trying to be managed and buildings were trying to be built. and, And you guys built what is here in a lot of ways, not just this physical building, but just the, the atmosphere that's here, the friendship that's here, the care that's here, the connections that mean something to people. So To this group, thank you so much for the years and years of your investment in making this church uh, what it is. I'm grateful for that. All right, this morning, and I'm going to try and be a little bit limited in how much I talk on the front end so you guys can ask some questions. Um, All right, so I've titled this thing, Crossing the Great Divide, and I want to pick on a couple of those words in just a minute, uh, that there is a call to cross, so I want to unbolt this generation from the idea that, that you're, you're sedentary and that those problematic generations behind you that, that you're called to be some kind of a spectator to watch and to critique from a distance and have problems with because that's what older generations typically do to younger generations. But that's not biblical and that's not your posture. Your posture is to figure out how to cross this divide. And there is a massive divide in generations. And that's not always been true, right? You guys live through some of these. I don't know if you can even see just, just so that When I, I talk generationally, sometimes people don't get the age groups here. <clears throat> this would be the, the age group that's in the church, that's in our culture. Uh, most of you guys are the baby boomer generation. Some of you guys are a little bit beyond the baby boomer generation. Uh, so I'm, I'm the bottom end there. I'm 1964, so I'm, I'm with you guys. Uh, then you got Gen X the millennials who are shaping the culture today in massive ways. Uh, and those would probably be mostly your children, uh, that are in that age group. And then you've got Gen Z would probably be your grandchildren who are in the, in the Gen Z category. And, you know, I, I remember growing up in the seventies and the word generation gap was, was around a lot then, uh, because, that baby boomer generation had decided that it it wanted to cut ties with the establishment, with the people who had come before it and made all the rules and had all the ways of doing stuff. And so there was this massive cultural revolution in the 60s and 70s that we all remember. You know, and then the, the 80s came along and the 90s came along and you had a lot of changes taking place then, but you didn't have... This generation gap wasn't so advertised. What the 60s and 70s did is it relocated a lot of stuff that everybody lived in it in some ways for the next 20 years or so. And even into the early 2000s, you didn't have this massive generation thing happening. And then in 2005, is it? You get the birth of the iPhone. So the smartphone comes along and changes the way we do life. And, And with that came another generational revolution. So you have a a very different generational component that starts to really kick in in the mid-2000s and on to today. And it's rapidly affected how generations relate because it's allowed for differences to proliferate. So millennials and baby boomers just almost don't live on the same planet in a lot of ways. But here's here's the interesting thing about it is... what what technology did in changing the way we do life got absorbed real quickly into a millennial lifestyle. And, And the Gen Z guys, grandchildren that are in that age, they've never known anything different than that. So they know nothing of not doing life with a device, of not having connections with people through those devices. So... The baby boomers had another way of doing things that they took with them, although we've all adopted quite a bit of the technological lifestyle. So we're not that different than the millennials. We just think we are. But we have a lot of traditions and backgrounds and ideas that made sense to us when we were forming our values that stick with us, that when we go to relate to that other generation, we don't get them. And that's the challenge that Farrell that was talking about. Was what we want to talk about today is... How do we connect with this generation, right? So let me just race through a couple of thoughts here. Al Mohler said this to pastors, but it, it obviously applies to all of us. He says, in about 25 years time, and, th- and this is going back mm, seven or eight years when he said this, we've seen the most concentrated, high velocity social change that human beings have ever experienced. Pastor, you're not wrong when you think that the whole world has changed. It has. All right, so that's true for how you're relating to your children and your grandchildren. Oz Guinness, if you, if you like to read philosophically, this book is really, really interesting. It's called Impossible People, Christian Courage and the Struggle for the Soul of Civilization. And he traces what it's like to live in a post-Christian world in comparison to the first century that lived in a pre-Christian world. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit because we've got some problematic ideas as a generation about how to apply the Bible. Uh, because I think we're misinformed in some things, but he, he touches on some helpful stuff. He says, the truth is that the world as Christians have known it for many centuries has gone and gone for good. We are confronting a new situation. The recognizably Christian world that Christians helped to create And that has been dominant in the West for more than a thousand years has severely eroded. Rival faiths, supremely secularism, which is a lot of what, even what Farrell mentioned, that secularism is creating a new value system, are growing in both numbers and power. Their damaging influence has spread far beyond their own circles. And the future we are all facing together is in some ways radically new, for us all as human beings, all right? So just think for a moment how different your world feels in that the world that you grew up in that shaped your values was a, was a Christianized world. Doesn't mean everybody was Christians, but the ideas that make Christianity livable and show up in daily spaces, moral ideas, quite a bit of them, Right? This is the, the big difference between biblical Christianity and moralism. We're not just moral people, we're, we're new creations. Right? We come to Christ and we become some a, a whole new race. We're not just people trying to get the world to behave like us. That's not their need. Their need is not to copy our behavior. Their need is to become new creations to get out of the race of Adam and come into the race of Christ. That's their need. But the world had borrowed so much Christian thinking to create its culture. Now, how many guys recognize if you read the New Testament, that's not what the New Testament Christians were living? All their morals were foreign and weird, and nobody had heard of them before. And apart from the Jews in the New Testament, the moral ideas in Christianity were so far different than the Gentiles, the Greeks and the Romans were. So if you were a Christian in the first century, you didn't know anything of expecting the culture to behave and think like you did. You didn't expect that at all. But we come from a generation that was Christianized, and we expect people to have our values. All right, you understand that's upside down. But we hold it in a way, and then we turn around to that generation coming behind us, and we interact with them out of those ideas. All right, here's a good little taste of just how the world has changed around us. Gallup points out some interesting stats. He says, these are questions that were asked. Do you think m- marriages between same-sex couples should or should not be recognized by law as valid with the same rights as traditional marriages? In 1999, 35% thought they should. By 2014, 55% thought they should. How many of you guys know 2014 is ancient history right now? That's how fast things change. So I don't know what 2019 would sound like, but I can guarantee it sounds a lot more than 55%. Is being gay or lesbian something a person is born with or due to upbringing and environment? In 1982, 17% thought it was born with. 52% thought upbringing and environment. By 2014, 42% thought they were born with it. and 37% thought it was upbringing. In 2002, 38% thought gay lesbian relations were morally acceptable. In 2018, 58% thought gay lesbian relations were morally acceptable. So your children and your grandchildren are growing up in a very, very, very different set of common values. The shock value of what, you know, you and I walk into a mall and we see Two men holding hands, it still gets your attention, doesn't it? Or you understand, it, it doesn't get your children's attention and doesn't get your grandchildren's attention. When they see that, they don't go, Look at that. It's just n- normal. It's just the culture that they've been exposed to and what they've interacted with. So when you interact with them over that topic, they are going to interact with you differently. They're they are not going to sound shocked like you, they're not going to sound appalled like you. And you're going to be wondering what their convictions are because you and I measure convictions sometimes out of how much emotion somebody carries in it, right? That happens in our marriages. Sometimes couples get into problems because, you know, one couple wants the child's head to be cut off. You know, that's how you correct them. Cut the kid's head off. Um, and the other parents kind of like doesn't have that level of emotion. and You think, well, you just don't care. You're too busy doing other things. Uh, it's like, no, I'm just made of something different than you are. Your kids aren't going to respond to life exactly the way you do. Your grandkids aren't going to either. And this is a critical thing. You can think of some questions in this category. You and I need to figure out how to have conversations with them and not just be freaked out because they don't sound like they share the same moral fibers that we share, right? Because if if you if you sound outraged at their moral distance from you, they'll just they'll just ignore you, is what they'll do. They'll they'll just back away from you and ignore you. So you got you got to be very inquisitive. You got to be asking questions, but not so that within three and a half minutes of asking questions you can correct them and tell them how they ought to be thinking because that'll be one of the last conversations you're having with them. And if you do that two or three times, you've shut the door. After just a few times, you've shut the door. So we need to think through differently. How are we imparting our faith? How are we imparting our values? How are we interacting with, how are we helping a generation coming behind us think and engage life and create a conversation? So that's why I say, crossing this gap, this this great divide, uh you and I need to pick up some skills so that we just don't stay in our own generation and never have a conversation with the generation coming behind us. We we need to figure out how to get over there and talk to them. Alright, so a couple of passages that are going to stir some challenge for us in this category. Uh, part of part of the conversation Farrell and I had a while back came out of this passage, and there's another one coming that's going to do the same thing to us. Right, so 1 Corinthians, this, this, is, this is an invitation to cross, right? This is, well, let me just not say this. It's, it's not an invitation to cross. This is a mandate to cross, right? So if you're a baby boomer, you don't get to be irritated by millennials and not talk to them. You don't get to do that. You don't get to stand back and say, I don't get Generation Z and my grandkids. I don't get them. And I, oh, they freak me out. I don't, I don't even talk to them. Right, well, you don't get to do that. There's a mandate on your life to go into all the world. And it just so happens that part of the world's younger than you. And you have to figure out how to go into that younger world. And Bible verses like this touch on that, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. <clears throat> Paul says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters since then you would need to go out of the world, But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, a drunkard, swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom we are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. This is a Bible verse about who to associate with and who to not associate with. But do you recognize it, it treats two sets of people very differently? All right, so think of some questions in this category that we, we can talk about. Um, the baby boomer generation takes this concept, and, and uh, you know, I got saved as a teenager. So the, the influence of these traditions in the church was there very strongly early on in my conversion. When you got saved in the 70s and 80s, you were taught strongly the doctrine, if you want to call it that, of disassociation. When you got saved, it felt right, natural, and the right thing to do to cut all your ties and all your overlap of life with people who weren't Christians. So most of us grew up, every time the church doors were open, we were here because we weren't spending time with anybody else but the church. We went to work, but we didn't associate with those people. We just did our work with those people. We lived in neighborhoods, but we didn't associate with those people. We had families, but we didn't associate with those people. We associated with the church. We did life with the church. And your family was full of people who, you know, they were drunks and revilers and idolaters, and they were hard to be around because their value system wasn't yours. And they cursed, and you didn't want your kids to hear that. You know, there's a lot of reasons for us to not get around worldliness in the world, and the church fostered that. And let me just say this generation fostered that. It made rules, and suddenly the the rules went into categories that, that, listen, your kids and your grandkids don't get at all. So it went into categories like when you got saved, you know, within a short period of time, there was maybe going to be a an, an album-burning ceremony, and, and you were, you know, expected to take all of your old worldly music, and you're just going to just burn all that stuff and throw it all away. And and now all you were supposed to listen to is Christian music, just Christian music. That's the only thing you can listen to is Christian music. And there becomes this, this rule among a generation of the church that you can't find anywhere in the Bible. And it's philosophically upside down, right? In certain categories of life, you can't touch that. You can't touch that, but you can touch this over here. What's the difference between that and this? And so uh, so I, can, I can listen to classical music, but I can't listen to rock music. I can only listen to Christian music, but I can go to a football game and watch the Saints play or the Dallas Cowboys play. Sorry, I had to get that for you. Um, <laughs> you know, listen, philosophically, there is th- th- these rules got created by our generation and they made sense to us because they were part of this separation theology. We we need to separate ourselves. And by the way, the Bible does actually teach about separation. So we we do need to properly understand that. But you'll recognize your kids, millennials and and Gen Z, they don't function separately like, like that. Their world has a huge amount of overlap. They don't just do life with the church. They do life with people they work with. They do life with people that they grew up with. They do life with extended family members. They're doing life differently. And you and I are connected to them. We've got to walk with them. And, and they don't get us, and we don't get them in some of these categories. right? But obviously what's most important is we make sure we stay biblical. But this Bible verse, as you can hear the nuances of it, it does not call you to disassociate with the lost. Where do we ever get the idea to build walls around our lives and our churches to keep out the worldliness of lost people. Why didn't we just grow a biblical spine and be able to stand and be light in the midst of darkness? I mean, you know, that light has to be in the midst of darkness to be light. We wanted to be light in the bright sunshine. You got to come in, salt has to come in contact with that which is dead and decaying in order for it to have its impact. But our generation created a church that didn't do that. And it felt right to us. And we almost shamed each other. If we didn't do that, right, you were called worldly, et cetera. So we, we got problems. All right. Generationally, we've got some problems. So when our younger generation starts protesting us, they got some grounds to do it. So don't think we got the high ground in all these categories. Cause we don't, we do in some other categories though. All right. So then there's another passage coming up here in first Corinthians where Paul's going to say this and think generationally here because you know that's what generations are cultures right they're a different culture so if we were going to plant churches in the amazon jungle that'd be a different culture we'd have to learn that culture and figure out how to connect with it well millennials are a different culture and Genesis is a different culture and so Paul had some issues to say about these sort of cultures in 1st corinthians 9 he says for though i am free from all i become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. And so in some way, it would be appropriate for us, though we are baby boomer generation, to become millennials for the sake of the millennials, to become Gen Z for the sake of Gen Z. And in all ways that we can do that without crossing lines of of sinning against God, we are under a mandate for the sake of the gospel to overcome the difficulties that we find in doing that. So this is a mandate. This is not like, hey, this is interesting. No, this is a mandate. One more thought here now. Try and get some questions going here. Joseph Ria says, a deepening pool of ink has been spilled over the generational gap problem. The real problem and the real situation isn't, organizational, it's personal. The real problem is that increasingly, we're no longer making friends across generational lines. And that's true toward you guys as well, right? You're you're, you're not being pursued well by millennials. Um, Gen Z, you know, kind of a younger group, so they're probably more grandchildren-ish pursuit. But, you know, the, the millennial age group. uh, They they were raised in the information age. If they want to know something, they can just Google it, which means you don't take up the biblical call to pursue wisdom and to value older people in your life at some level that you're regularly downloading here. Here's where I'm struggling. This was, this is what's not working with raising my kids. This is where my marriage is coming off the rails and they come to older mentors and older people and pursue that uh, that's not characteristic of the generation behind you. They, they'll just Google it. They'll follow somebody online, and they'll just see what that person has to say about their particular issue. And 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 you know you can find some kind of a question that you're asking anywhere online. And there's lots of answers to that question somewhere available to you. And life is moving fast. I don't have time to get with you anyway, so I'm just going to kind of check this out. But what it does for us, it makes us feel like we don't matter to that generation. We're not important to them. They don't want to hear what we have to say. Um, May or may not be true, but it is what it feels like, right? All right, one more thought here, and I'm going to let you guys ask some questions about this. Um, Current gap issues... This is going to show up in areas that are going to either, they could irritate you, they could cause you great concern about watching your kids travel through things, make decisions, et cetera. Um, They just could make for disconnected conversations as you're you're talking with each other. Work patterns today are very different than the ones that many of us knew when we were younger. right? Um, There's a lot more two-income households today than there there was for some of your generation. There's a lot more ambition for the lifestyle that comes with uh, two incomes. That creates pace issues and creates challenges for you know our kids to to pull off the life that they're after. They they've got to work hard and live fast and live big to do that. You guys dialed your lives back and you lived within the boundaries of what you could afford. Uh, you, you didn 't have the same sorts of ambitions in you that they have in them, and so you you lived more modestly uh, for years of your lives and, and you, you, you took the value of family and you let it take up a certain amount of space in your thinking and your energy and your finances in a different way than your children are doing, and you 're interacting with that right. And because you value some of the things you value, you're going to be really irritated by what they're doing. Uh, But not just irritated, you're going to take on their world at some level. I guarantee you, I won't ask for a show of hands, but uh, a lot of you are spending significant portions of your week watching your grandchildren because your children... Lives are not available to their own kids in some level, and they need you. They need you to help that take place. And so you're you're a babysitter a couple of days a week. You're a babysitter on multiple nights. You're uh, Uber driver uh, to and fro wherever they need to get, etc. Um, so so that's that's having impact on you. And so you know you're in some ways you probably feel like you're raising another set of kids because of the level of involvement that you may have. And so you're not alone. That's all over this room. It's all over my neighborhood, parents that are, that are in your age group, I, I see that. Um, social connections, the way people relate uh, are just done extremely differently. Right? You and I get in the same room with people to some degree still. Uh, this generation behind us doesn't need to see another human being for long periods of time. They can, they can text, connect electronically, and, and that feels normal. It's a form of communication that for them suits their lifestyle and, and suits them. But again, it's one of those things that we don't get. Uh, parenting approaches uh, are very different. Um, that's, that's always kind of been true of generational gaps that, you know, the values that parents try to impart to their kids can be a little different than the previous generation. But, but there's a philosophy out there uh, in life. And so your kids feel differently about things that you were clear on and things that you owned uh, and, and they don't own it the same way. Uh, views of authority and absolutes, this would take too long to unpack, but I just want to throw it out there at you. It's a philosophical issue that's touching all kinds of things that the generation behind you interacts with. They, they don't feel the same way that you do about authority and about concepts that are absolute. The culture doesn't let them feel that way. The culture challenges that every chance it can, every chance it makes that feel weird. And so even though they've been around your value system and a biblical value system, it still feels weird because the culture's taught it to feel weird. So, uh, you know, listen, in the church, you know, you guys who've been around Pentecost and Pentecostals and Charismatics, you know, you'll remember there, you, you were in a church at some point where you would hear the phrase within a couple of weeks, touch not the Lord's anointed. That was a chastisement for you not to question those in leadership. And that was said to you in a way that, oh, yeah, you, you don't question authority. You submit to authority. Right? That was in the church. That was in your generation as well. That is not in the generation of mine. They question everything. There is, there's no boundary where they say, oh, well, that's the pastor. You know, they say whatever they want to say. They take issue with whatever they want to take issue with. It's like everybody's walking around with a little comment box attached to the bottom of them. It's like an invitation. Oh, please, come comment. Come tell me what you think. Um, that's in all of our lives. Uh, pace of life is a massive issue today. Massive issue, but it's in your life too. All right, so one of the challenges of being the church today is uh, Christians don't have room in their lives. Uh, and then this is a massive pastoral issue. I'm chasing a rabbit here a little bit but people don't have room in their lives to interact with God, to read their Bibles, to be convicted by God, to be changed by God personally. And they've got very little room to be involved in meetings that would help to do any of that as well. They think they're involved, but they're not. They're involved 50% of the time, where your generation used to be involved 90% of the time. Generation behind you is much worse. Than that their pace of life is is very difficult to keep up with, and they live with a different set of values and categories of leisure, of travel. Your your children travel more, probably in their brief lives, than you have traveled in your whole life. Uh, they just travel, man. Uh, won't go into material possessions. Uh, they they possess more at thirty and thirty five years old than than you had by the time you were fifty. Uh, just a different world, right? So they're living a different experience. All right, so into your life, throw out some questions here, so Pharaoh, we'll we'll move to the Q&A time. Um, Into your life are people that God has put there, and you're bumping into situations with them, Uh, strained conversations, distance and disconnection, that you just don't, you don't feel welcome to interact with them in some ways. They don't feel receptive to your conversations. Um, Deep convictions that you have in categories that matter like Pharaoh was describing, you know you can have children who uh, are are sifting through whether they really believe Christianity or not. Gender identities issues are coming into your families, and so could be your children, could be your grandchildren, could be the friends that they get around, the people that they bring into your settings with you that are openly gay uh, that Are pondering same-sex marriage and one of your grandkids wants to invite them to Thanksgiving dinner and they're gonna sit at your table, they're gonna be in your house, and they're openly gay. These are these are different these are different days in a lot of ways. So these are creating for us challenges and questions that that aren't easy to answer, and so I don't have any easy answers, and I may have as many questions as you've got. But let's do this. Um...